Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to First uh, Samuel, the book of First Samuel, as we begin a new uh, series in uh, that book today that will take us over the next uh, several uh, months. You can see a little outline in your uh, worship guide if you uh, would like to see kind of where we're headed. First uh, Samuel's in the Old Testament. It's after Judges and it's before First uh, and Second uh, Kings. And we'll be looking at the first chapter today. Let me remind you of the method to our madness, so to speak, of the way that we seek in general to walk through the scriptures from time to time. We'll do various topical series from the pulpit. But in general, we try to walk through the scriptures chapter by chapter, verse by verse, or at least passage by passage. And we've done that in the in the past already in the last several years since our church began with looking at the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus. Uh, also, Joshua and then most recently last year, uh, Judges from the Old Testament, those particular uh, books. And and again, there's uh, there's some advantage to us. Uh, one to me that's uh, I hope seems significant to you all as well. You have a, a sense that rather than sort of just dive bombing into the scriptures from time to time or sort of circling generally around it or grabbing little nibbles and snippets from it, that we really have a sense of confidence that on the particular books, at least, that we're working our way through, that we, we've got a handle. If, we're, if we're, we're here in general week to week, that we're, we're really getting a grasp of the content of that book of Scripture in its context. And we're understanding uh, it uh, for God's purposes in our lives. So it, it's helpful that way. It, it's also a benefit to, uh, to you all because, uh, in general... It, it helps uh, manage the pastoral bias or the preacher bias, whether it's me up here or other uh, uh, guest preachers that are up uh, from time to time, because uh, what it means is that instead of me just getting on my soapbox and dealing with whatever topic I really like to talk about, we walk through that book. Uh, there's there's some necessity to cover what's next in the scriptures. And we want to hear uh, from the Lord and his word and not just the opinions of man. Uh, conversely, it helps me. In a way that ultimately helps you all to, to maybe challenge a little bit more directly, talk about some things maybe I wouldn't necessarily uh, always be comfortable talking about or be my favorite topic, but that we need to hear from. And it allows you to know, hey, you know, the pastor, the folks uh, preaching up front, they're just tackling the next part of God's word. It's his message to us. So I think it's incredibly beneficial for us to try to walk through the, the challenge of it is, is that we've got to work through the verses and the passages, which is a little bit more uh, demanding uh, from us. I won't sugarcoat that. So uh, you'll see it right from the get go today as we weed through some uh, some names and so forth at the beginning of these verses. But here's uh, here's what I hope we will see as we journey through First Samuel. It's a it's a book about kings, ultimately, and it's going to raise for us continually the very important question for each one of us in our lives. Who is king? Who is king uh, for us in our lives? And as we go through, it's going to raise some sub themes as well. So we'll circle back around to, to that one each week. But uh, as we walk through just an, an overview of a few of the passages, it's going to deal with issues of uh, infertility and trusting God with our children. It's going to deal with uh, the impacting of uh, parenting failures and struggles, the difficulty of, of trusting uh, the one invisible divine one. Uh, versus trusting uh, human leaders that we might revere greatly. It's going to deal with the ease with which we follow, sort of tend to follow charismatic, uh, outwardly attractive leaders versus leaders that are really uh, built their lives on godliness and character. It's going to 
bring to the forefront the hypocrisy of our attempts sometimes to sort of offer a sacrifice to placate God for the things that we decide to do against his will instead of just choosing to do the things that he calls us to. Uh, It'll force us to recognize that we can trust the Lord even when those who are over us uh, in a school setting, uh, students or in a work setting or family setting, maybe kids with parents that those who are over us. Uh, Even when maybe they're not walking exactly in step with the Lord, that we can trust him to work in our lives, uh, even through that authority. And then uh, as we turn, of course, to probably the most famous part of First Samuel, the story of Goliath and so on, we're going to see not just that God allows us to, you know, face the, the giants in our lives, but that really God is at work facing those giants on our behalf. He's a gracious God that way. So, I mean, all kinds of themes, just a a snippet of overview for you this morning. I won't go through those every week, but I I wanted you to get a picture of that. And and so as we turn turn now to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to take a look at this this woman, Hannah. And as we we look at her, a couple of questions are going to come to mind for us, I hope will come to mind. So as we read these verses, sort of ask these two Broad brush questions, and then we'll narrow down to some specific application. The first question I think is really intriguing, if you sort of can zoom out and think about uh, these books right from the beginning, is why does a book about kings, rulers, those who are in control, in, in most cases in the scriptures and ancient cultures, a book about men in that sense, Why does it begin telling us about a woman and not just any woman, but a woman who's struggling, you might say, to do the sort of fundamental thing that she expects of herself and her culture expects of her to have a child? Why does the book about kings start with telling us about Hannah and her situation? And then sort of related to that, but a a different angle on it. Why does a book about two of the most well-known kings in the ancient world, Saul and David, and if you extend it out on beyond, it starts to deal with Solomon as we move into 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. But why do these books start with a message about a helpless woman who can't even seem to pray without somebody accusing her of praying for the wrong reasons and who is giving birth eventually Not to a king, but to a prophet, to somebody who's going to proclaim the word of God. What's the message there? Why this way to begin this book about kings? So read along with me as I read aloud uh, the full chapter of uh, first Samuel and bear with me in the first few verses here with these words. There was a certain man of Ramathaim. Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Epaphrodite. Epaphrodite. He had two wives, Elkanah did. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, the man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord 
of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And the rival, it's talking about the other wife there, the rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose and Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, Hannah, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart and her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither strong, uh, neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered her, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went away. Woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house in Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel. And she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And then the last uh, number of verses here. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. She said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I'll bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a Three-year-old bull, an epaph of flour and skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He's lent to the Lord and he worshiped Samuel, that is the Lord there. Let's pray. 
Well, Father, we ask that you would help us greatly as we walk through these uh, verses to see what you want to show us about your kingship, about your gracious, gracious kingship in our lives and how, uh, Lord, we might take all that matters to us most and we might entrust it to you, uh, knowing that it's in your good hands, whatever your will may be. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the story is uh, told, and you may have heard it, of an older man who was uh, riding on the bus through town one day and had a friend of his uh, with him. Uh, They were making their way along through town, and a a young man sitting next to them on the bus said to the older man, "Uh, what time is it? And the older man just ignored him. The younger man uh, thought maybe he hadn't got the older man's attention, and so he said again, what what time is it? This time the older man kind of turned himself even the other way and ignored him again. Eventually, the young man got off the, the bus and uh, his friend who was riding along the bus with him asked him, he said, what, what's the deal? Why, why such rude treatment to this guy that was just asking you for a simple request for the, the, the time of day? And the older man replied this way. He says, if I had given him the time of day, he'd want to know where I'm going. Then he might want to talk about our interests. And if we did that, he might invite himself over to our house for dinner. If he came to my house, he would probably meet my lovely daughter. If he met her, they would probably both fall in love. And frankly, I don't want my daughter marrying someone who isn't responsible enough to afford a watch. Well, the old man wasn't ready to entrust what mattered to him most to somebody that uh, he deemed unreliable, incapable, right? And the same is really true for us in our relationship with the Lord. And that's why it's so important for us to believe what the scriptures affirm and what these verses remind us of. And you can follow along in your worship guide in the sermon notes section at the back if you want. That, that this this main idea is true, that since God is is the gracious king. Since God is the gracious king, we can prayerfully trust him with all that matters most to us. I mean, the, the reality is that uh, we struggle to trust God, even with the things that only matter to us moderately. And we really find it difficult to trust him with those things That matter a great deal to us, usually because we figure those items will be safer. Those issues will be safer in our own hands that we can handle them, even with our limited capability and finite understanding. Somehow we got it in our mind. We'll do better to keep them in our hands. And we probably know at some level that that's not quite the way things should be and probably also know that prayer is a pathway to kind of move through that, to begin to learn to trust God with all different aspects of our lives and especially those things that are important to us. But often in our prayer life, we don't really even want to go there with the Lord. We don't necessarily want to deal with those deep things unless, as in the case of Hannah, the Lord brings some kind of barrier between what we want to see happen with those things that matter to us most and uh, and what his will seems to be, then we will start to turn. 
And even when we turn prayerfully to the Lord, it's so difficult for us to always remember these two important realities about who he is, that he is gracious and that he is king. Sometimes we would think, well, he cares, but I'm not sure he can really do anything about this. Other times we think, well, surely he's powerful enough to handle this, but I'm not so sure he cares all that much. And the story of Hannah in this chapter of 1 Samuel kind of opens all of that up for us. The, uh, the setup is kind of clear, even though there's some words in here and names of cities and people that get us jumbled up in the first few verses. You got the picture, right? Elkanah has uh, two wives. This wasn't necessarily like a universal practice in the ancient culture. It probably means they were somewhat uh, well-to-do or at least sort of middle class. They were able to have this situation of two wives. It, it also probably, although the passage doesn't tell us, means that the reason this other wife is there is precisely because of Hannah's difficulty having children. Okay, so this is the setup. You can see the tension already between the two that's exacerbated by the other wife. She stirs it up and spurs it on. So it's not just that Hannah's got to deal with this situation. She's got to deal with the antagonism of it. So this is the picture of uh, Hannah as we start uh, these verses. And it's interesting to watch her as she seeks to trust All that matters most to her, to the Lord. And to ask ourselves that question as well. What are those things? And we can imagine her priorities. They're probably uh, multiple priorities. She she wants to be vindicated against this other lady that's given her a hard time. Right. Let's just be honest. She'd like to to win that little battle and uh, uh, stick it to the other lady a little bit. Right. She's also probably just got a genuine desire in that culture to be recognized for what she feels she should be doing as a as a wife of having having children. So she's dealing with that. But but in all of that, she also seems to have just a sincere wish to honor God with offspring that God might give to her. Right. She pretty readily gives up her son. We can see that there's sort of a delay as she's weaning him, but she goes ahead and takes him. And the weaning age, we don't know, maybe in the ancient world, like two, two and a half, maybe. But at any point, that's a very young child she's taking and handing over. She says she's going to lend them to the Lord as as long as is needed. So there's uh, something sincere that's going on in her trust of God. And to me, it raises the question for us, how do we handle trusting God with those things that matter most to us, with the uh, realities of our job? With the struggles we might have for success, maybe that's in the workplace or maybe that's in parenting or whatever sphere of life you want to achieve success, those things that matter to us most. And and here I'm talking about things that you know, some things that matter to us most that are sort of in, inherently sinful that aren't good, you know, are our idols that way. These are things that are actually good. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them, but they can sort of take over and get a life of their own. A relationship that maybe means a lot to us, a a dating relationship or some other friendship. Our desire for control to kind of be able to manage things in our life. The importance we put on our appearance, on how we seem to other people or look to other people. Our sense of uh, security, of knowing that uh, things are going to be okay. Uh, Maybe our sense of freedom, of feeling like we can do what we want to. Uh, circling back around to Hannah's particular situation, our children. Many of us 
have young ones and uh, the importance of them and the value we place on them. So, so the question for us then today is, what's it look like for us to trust God with what matters most to us? And we see that Hannah kind of leads the way, shows the way for us in her prayer. Uh, take a look at the section here where it describes her going and praying, starting in verse nine, going on uh, forward. It's uh, it's an interesting interaction, right? Eli is supposed to be this priest. And later on, we're going to see even uh, next week and the week after that, that uh, Eli's got some serious issues. He's not quite tracking, but we'll, we'll save that for for another week. You already pick it up, right? Because he does not recognize that she's praying. He's a priest and he doesn't recognize a person praying in front of him. He thinks she's drunk. You got this uh, issue shaping up. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of a situation I, I had at a, a previous church that I was on staff at. And, uh, you know, it was a, a large church. And so we had multiple services. And sometimes if I wasn't, I was an assistant pastor. So if I wasn't involved in the worship service, I might be back by my office, finishing up a Sunday school lesson for Sunday school time or checking a few emails or whatnot. While the first worship service going on and go to the later service for my time of worship with the family. So I remember being back there and we had kind of been praying as a church body that uh, or, or at least as a leadership body that that God would start to really do a work powerfully in people's lives during the worship service and kind of have some expect expectancy that that would that would take place. That it wouldn't just be rote or going through the motions, but that God be touching people's hearts. And, and so I remember one day being being back there at my office time while that earlier service was going on. And, and in the middle of that time, a, a, a sort of middle aged woman came on came on back. There and and I noticed right away that she looked kind of disturbed and and we sort of bumped into each other walking from the hallway to the copier there, and I I asked her uh, what was was taking place what was going on, and she said wow she said I, I was just in the in the service and I was just listening to the message and I, and I just I, I I got chills I got chills I got overcome and I I just had to I had to come out and see and I had to find somebody to talk to about it. I was like wow. And we've been praying for this. And now God is on the move. He's doing something in this woman's life. And we just, in the last couple of weeks, I love to see this happen, getting excited. The pastoral wheels are turning. So I said, oh, well, tell me about it. Tell me, um, you know, what's happening? What was it in the sermon where you kind of convicted about something? Or was it some exciting thing about the Lord that you're just celebrating and that you got these chills and you're, you need to talk to somebody about it? She looked at me and sort of cocked her head and had a sort of sheepish look on her face and she rubbed her shoulders just a little bit more and apologetically sort of said, uh, well, actually, I was just I was in the worship service and I, I just felt cold, just felt a little cold. And I was coming to ask and see if you could get me a cup of coffee or maybe turn up the thermostat in there. I mean, imagine the air going out of that pastoral balloon. Just there, there it went. But I uh, I misread her. Eli is misreading in the opposite way, right? He's thinking nothing's happening or something bad's happening. In fact, something powerful is going on as he speaks to her. But she's got to sort of defend herself in this. And then even if you look at her prayer, so she's got to press through this. You look at her prayer, it's not exactly a prayer that we would always want to prescribe. It's kind of a bargaining thing that she's doing. She says, hey, if you'll give me this thing, if you'll close this deal for me and this sales opportunity I'm going to tomorrow, then I'll do this. Right. 
or if you can get me out of the consequences of these actions that I took, then I'll make sure to show up to church on Sunday. You know, it's, it's a little bit, it seems a little bit of that way. But I think if we press through, we realize that, in fact, although it's kind of set up in that way, that bargaining manner, the difference is that she's a deeply dependent woman on the Lord. And the Lord's brought her to that place. Man, we, none of us enjoy not being able to get what matters to us most. Right. Or to have what matters to us most work out. It says in here it was years that she went through this. And it seems that that has done a work in her heart. And so I think when she comes with this prayer, although it seems like she's bargaining, bartering, she's uh, she's really just entrusting herself to the Lord, saying this is what I would love to see happen in my life. I believe, Lord, that, you know, your plan is best, but I'm 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 this is what I desire. And I'm asking you for it sincerely. And, And why is she able to begin to do that? Because she is seeing what's so hard for us to see that God is gracious king. And so the question for us today really is, what do we believe about that? Do we uh, recognize that? Yeah, God's sovereign. I mean, in her case, think about how many times she prayed about this and the Lord didn't have to do this for, but he chooses to. Uh, Do we believe that God, even though he's sovereign, is still gracious? He's still loving in in how he cares uh, for us. It's it's amazing when we look at these verses to see God's sovereignty all over it. And we'll we'll close in just a minute here. But take a look back with me. Oh, where is it? It's in verse five and six. I think it's right back to back. You know, the passage doesn't try to uh, take the edge off of it. OK, in there's a different phrase in the scriptures for describing a woman who is barren, kind of the like her side of things. This passage says in verse five and then verse six, it says uh, that the Lord had closed her womb. And then the the other gal, the other wife is irritating her. And it says the same phrase again. Okay, it's very deliberate. It's saying that this this is in God's plan. This is happening in his plan. It's not just that she happens to be barren. So his sovereignty is there. But then look, look at the flip side of it. Look at verse uh, uh, 19 and 20. And then the, the very bottom of the verses as well, where it brings up the same issue. But it says uh, in verse 20, uh, Hannah conceived, bore a son. I'm sorry, verse 19, the end of that verse. Uh, Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord did what? Isn't this awesome. The Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered her. What a privilege that we have as God's people called by him. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can for us atone. It's all of his grace to be on the mind of God. To have him be thinking about you and me and to care for us. Folks, that means we can take all that matters to us most and we can prayerfully trust God with it. And then look at this last thing. We'll close with this. First Samuel again, chapter two. Now, we won't read all of this because we're at the end of our time. But look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's interesting. When we do get to that place of trusting God with all that matters to us most, or at least take some steps that way, and we, you know, through prayer, we're getting there, we're seeing that He's a grace, both gracious and He's king. What happens to us a lot of times when He actually does what we're hoping He'll do? He remembers us, but we do what? We forget Him. Look at what Hannah does to kind of help herself remember, help us remember. 
Starting in verse uh, verse one there, it says she prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derives my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord. There's none besides you. There's no rock like our God. And then you can read the rest on your own time. But jump with me down to the bottom of verse 10 and connect one last piece with me. It says the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to the king. And exalt the power of his anointed. Hannah's a paradigm. It's not just the story of Hannah that we can hopefully benefit from today. But Hannah sends a loud and clear message from the beginning of Samuel. Guess what? Kings of God's people. You want to be a king over God's people? Be dependent upon the Lord. Know that your strength can only come from him. Know that the only way we'll see blessing and success is if the Lord remembers you. If he shows his grace. In that way, what a picture and what a picture of how the people of God should live that her son. The lead off in the book of Samuel doesn't become a king. He becomes a prophet. What do prophets do? Tell the word of God. They're going to people going to be a people dependent upon God under the word of God if they seek to walk and know him and glorify him. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word and how both in the uh, very specific uh, words, in particular verses, you reveal things about yourself to us and about how you're working. And Lord, also how you uh, in the, the big picture things that are going on in your word show us truth about uh, our lives and about your people and about your plan. Father, help us to be strengthened and equipped through your word today. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.